Welcome to Real World Talk, a podcast that brings together healthcare leaders to discuss the importance of real world data in accelerating drug development and improving cancer care. Real World Talk is brought to you by Coda, a company that combines oncology expertise with advanced technology and analytics to create clarity from fragmented and often inaccessible real world data. Hi there, listeners. Welcome to today's episode of Real World Talk with Coda. My name is Emily DiCapua, and I'm your host. Thus far on Real World Talk, we've explored the use of real world data from the provider, researcher, and life sciences perspective. One key stakeholder we haven't yet focused on is the payer, and we'll dive into that today with our esteemed guest, Lily Brillstein. Lily is a nationally recognized thought leader for the advancement of value-based specialty care. Lily's consulting company, Be Collaborative, advises health insurance plans, pharmaceutical companies, providers, and innovative healthcare startups across the country. Prior to advising, Lily was the director of specialty care value-based models for Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. She also held leadership positions at United Health Group and Emblem Health. Lily is a lecturer at Harvard Business School and Rutgers University, and is also an editorial board member of both the Journal of Clinical Pathways and Managed Healthcare Executive. Lily, welcome, and thank you so much for squeezing us in. Thanks, Emily. It's so nice to be here today. I'd like to start off our conversation today by setting the stage for listeners who may not be familiar with the more complex world of healthcare payment models. In the US, payments for health procedures, medications, and treatments have by and large followed a fee-for-service model. What is fee-for-service and how did it come to become the dominant form of healthcare payments in the US? Yeah, so It's right. That is the dominant form today. Fee-for-service is a payment model that reimburses providers uh, of care on a per-service basis. So every service is paid for separate and apart from any other service that may be rendered to an individual patient. And reimbursement for the care provider then um, is increased when they provide more services. So it's sort of a, a quantity over quality incentive in the model. Prior to the 1960s, really, when most care was acute in nature and physicians really couldn't do much more than provide a visit or surgery and some very limited medications, the model of uh, paying fee-for-service and paying-for-service actually worked very well. And when CMS came into existence in 1965, fee-for-service was the foundation of their payment model for what was then really essentially a basic coverage model for people who didn't otherwise have health insurance coverage. There is this sort of perverse incentive around quantity rather than quality or patient outcomes, which often results in fragmented and or unnecessary care for individuals and results in really less than ultimate outcomes. As we've seen medicine continue to evolve and people are living longer and with more complex diagnoses and comorbidities, the fragmented fee-for-service model really does not work effectively to support these patients and individuals with these situations uh, and certainly not to produce optimal outcomes or thoughtful 
use of limited resources. So there really is a need for care that is connected and that considers the whole of the individual patient rather than simply one that considers just one particular service delivered by one particular provider. And what is that type of care, that model referred to now in the U.S.? Is there one specific model? So, well, so there are a lot of models under an umbrella, which is called uh, value-based care. And I think there's lots of confusion about what value-based care is. You hear terms like population health, and you hear bundled payments and episodes of care and ACOs. All of those terms are kinds of value-based models, and they relate to different segments of the population. It might relate to uh, primary care or to specialty care or to integrated delivery care. But the goal of all of them is exactly the same. And it's to really shift the focus from all of the care that's being rendered by one provider to all of the care that's rendered to one particular patient or individual across the full continuum of care. And so it's really about um, creating accountability to the individual patient, contemplating not just services that I as a doc might deliver, but what other services that patient might be receiving or needing, what their experience is, how well I use the limited resources, all of that is taken into account. And payment for what becomes a team of providers is based on the patient's outcomes, the patient's experience, and ultimately how well the cost of care was managed as well. So it sounds like there's that this new model or this new umbrella over all of these models requires a ton of collaboration between these entities. Can you tell us about one, uh, a specific model under value-based care that you think is um, particularly effective or exciting? So the model that I'm most closely associated with is the episodes of care model, which sometimes is also referred to as bundled payments, although I don't tend to use that word because I think these models really are about quality, consistently optimal outcomes. And if you use bundled payments, you only hear the money. Anyway, I do love the episodes of care model for a number of reasons. It is, it's typically a model that's used to engage specialists in the value-based care scenario. I also love it because it's in some ways, it's like bite-sized chunks of value-based care. Whereas population health or primary care models are often looking at heterogeneous populations of people you're trying to keep healthy, right? So the primary care doc is making sure everybody has their mammogram or the women have their mammogram, everybody has a flu shot, those who need a colonoscopy, and it's mostly preventive health. And in some ways, it can be like boiling the ocean because it is such a heterogeneous population. It's, It's not easy to start there. So the episodes of care model is a model that's really focused on individuals who have some real clinical similarity. And so we may be looking at patients who are having a particular procedure or a particular diagnosis or healthcare event. The goal in all value-based care models, right, is to um, to get to the, the triple aim, if you will, to improve outcomes, improve experience, and, and do so at the, with using limited resources in the most thoughtful way possible. The difference between what happens in an episode and what happens in a a PCMH or a pop health model is that clinically similar stratification piece, right? Where in the episodes, we're really trying to look at patients who are clinically similar, understand 
where there may be variations in the care that's rendered and the cost of the care that gets rendered. If the models are developed in what my view is most effectively, it will include stakeholders from across the continuum and leverage the expertise of each of those. So you would not just have a payer who builds a model and then presents it to a provider, but rather it, there would be a payer, there would be providers, there might be technology partners, there might be all sorts of other folks at the design table, if you will, and part of the partnership. And the idea is to really leverage the expertise of each. And so if we think about Payers, historically, payers have been engaged in developing and approving um, clinical pathways and protocols. And that may not really be where their particular strength is, right? Their particular strength is around understanding the longitudinal view of the patient in terms of utilization and cost of care. And that's a view that most providers don't get. They only have the view of what they have delivered, which is which works very well in fee-for-service, but doesn't serve the, the value-based care model very well. Again, if you have this sort of diversity of perspectives and stakeholders at the table, now the data, that longitudinal data can be shared, can be studied by clinical experts, right, your partner providers, to see where those variations in care are, because they typically don't know. They're typically not aware that the care they deliver is different than the care their partner is delivering and that the outcomes are different and certainly not aware that their their uh, other practices, competitors, if you will, are doing things differently. So now you have payers who share the data and can help build a construct around this and you have providers who bring the clinical expertise around this disease state or healthcare diagnosis to bring in the evidence-based research and medicine and tools to apply to reduce those variations in care and cost of care. And are there specific areas that are more amenable to an episodes of care model? I know you talked about primary care physicians versus perhaps specialty care, but within that, are there specific things that at least launching initial episodes of care programs are more um, amenable to to this kind of a model? I love the episodes model, and I happen to be one of those people who believes we can really, we can build a model, we can kind of episodize almost anything if we have, if we follow a discipline of certain criteria. But let me answer your specific question first. So there are some kinds of episodes that tend to be easier to launch. And if you think in here in the world around bundle payments and episodes, you most often initially hear about orthopedic procedures, hip replacement, knee replacement surgeries. And the reason for that is there, first of all, there's a lot of them. And there's a lot of variation in care and cost of care, even in the same markets. And they're easy to define. They're typically one-time events. And it can either start with the surgery itself, or it can start at some point before to capture the labs and radiology. And then it typically will end nine days or so afterwards, so that you can be sure to capture sort of the after effects of the surgery and the, the rehab and recovery and the you know, if there are infections or readmissions, that it all anything that's related gets captured. And then typically it's sort of, you know, one and done. The patient has the surgery, participates in the episode, and then it's over. It's easy to define. It has an easy beginning and an end point. The goals are pretty easy to define also in terms of post-functional assessment versus where they were beforehand. 
and then readmissions and, and things like that. I've built models in ortho and in episodes in multiple different specialties, including GI, maternity is a great one, cardiology, and also a number of chronic conditions, oncology, which is thankfully in many cases becoming a chronic condition. And what's really what I find fascinating is as I talk to payers around the country, it used to be that many of them were were very reluctant to get into these value-based models because they were perceived to be very complicated. The algorithms were complicated. And but when they did, they were starting with orthopedic episodes, most typically. Today, when I talk to payers around the country, I would tell you most of them talk to me about chronic condition episodes. When this first started to happen, I said to them, this is crazy. This is a crazy place to start because it's messy. It's more difficult. It's not easy to define. There are not standard starting points. There are not standard end points. And there are differences within, you know, if somebody who has an oncologic diagnosis of breast cancer is very different, you know, stage one, you know, adjuvant is very different from, you know, stage three metastatic. And so, you know, they're more complicated models because they require um, information that's greater than what a payer can provide in their claims data, for example. It's pretty easy to stratify a population around patients having a knee surgery or a hip surgery or having a baby. You can pretty much use information that's on the claim to get clinically similar enough patients that docs can make, docs and other care providers can make good decisions. When you look at oncology or MS or RA and other very complex chronic conditions that carry comorbidities and require specialists of multiple stripes to participate, you need data that supplements the claims data. So what does that mean? That means you immediately need those partnerships and collaborations, right? There's not even room for a fight about that in order to really understand who the population of individuals are that you want to create accountability to. You have to have all of this information. You need to be able to really stratify that population down to the biomolecular level of disease. Absolutely. And the and I think that's something that CODA in creating real world data is from provider data is excited to be a go-between in terms of bringing the payer and the provider to the table and supplementing that claims data with real world data. What limitations or challenges do, from your perspective, do payers that you've spoken to face when considering an episodes of care program for those more complex diseases like cancer face. So um, like rheumatoid arthritis you mentioned, or any of those other chronic conditions, and how can those challenges uh, be overcome? i say one more thing about those mm-hmm. chronic conditions, which yeah. is even though they're messier and they're harder, they, I would argue that they are they are the most perfect. If you think of what it's like to be an individual who lives with chronic, a chronic condition, and how often, because of the fragmentation that's occurred as a result of our fee-for-service payment methodology, very often patients are left to navigate this very complicated labyrinth of services on their own. And, and that really is a function of the fee-for-service 
model. And in a value-based care model and an episode of care model, the group of providers and collaborators have their arms wrapped around these patients so that their moves and their movements are, uh, the patient's movements are supported entirely through the process by this team. So from my perspective, even though they may be the most difficult to construct, they are, I think, I think the most important and potentially create the most value to the patient. As it relates to the payer, they also uh, create tremendous value because these are patients that are a very difficult for payers to understand because they do not have on site the clinical information. They may have some, but not in an organized fashion the way they have their claims data. They may have it in notes and, and things like that. And it is really important for providers and other stakeholders, I think, to understand this if they want to create successful partnerships, is payers are gigantic bureaucratic organizations that for the most part have systems that sit on a fee-for-service chassis. And they're not easy to change. And nobody would say payers are nimble. Maybe somebody would. I, I, if, they, if there is somebody, I haven't heard them yet. It's, not, it's just not easy for them to set up payments that are different, that are bundled. And sometimes providers come in, well, not even providers, but sometimes an idea comes up that seems so simple, like just get rid of the authorization or just change it and pay us for all the services everybody renders. But it, it ends up administratively being quite difficult for the payer. And so one of the things I always say to providers and startups and, and tech vendors who are going in to talk to payers is you need to be thoughtful about what they can actually do and not do and to listen to what they're telling you because they may not be saying no because they don't like your idea. They may be saying no because administratively it's difficult. And so for me, the goal is really as partners to build something that is clinically meaningful and also administrable by the payer and not burdensome for the providers and the other partners. So I think that the issue of access to comprehensive data sets is a, is a challenge. I think the, the fee-for-service systems that payments are made on is, is a real challenge. You know, I, don't, I shouldn't have said problem. You know, they're challenges that can be overcome. And the way they get overcome really is by bringing in partners and showing respect to one another. I know it sounds silly, but it's really at the heart, in my view, of the success of these models is to have respectful dialogue and be respectful of what your partners bring to the table and not so much focus on what they can't actually do. Mind if I jump in here? I love the, the advice of collaboration and being respectful of one another and aware of each other's limitations. As you're as you speak to to payers and providers across the country on this, have you how does a conversation start? Have you seen it have you seen it typically with forward thinking innovative providers reaching out to their payers or is it the reverse? So it's a little of both. And there's a lot of different activity that's happening in the country. And so different markets are in different places. And so sometimes there are providers who are very excited and ready to go, but the payer, they can't find a payer in their market who's ready to go. 
And sometimes there are payers who develop models, maybe without the provider's input, and then they go to try to bring the providers in and they think this this doesn't look so good to me. So my best advice around providers, you know, looking to engage with payers is to to look to see what are the payers in your market's doing in terms of value-based care? Is there some activity? Look for people who have in their title things like value or episodes of care or even pop health or innovation or transformation. Those are people who are going to be focused much less on fee-for-service and the traditional models and focusing more on these kinds of collaborative models, creating accountability to the individual patients or members as we're talking about And I think having been on the payer side for 25 or so years and being on the receiving end of providers and technology vendors who come in to present every day to tell me how they were going to solve all of my problems, one of the issues is sometimes I really had no idea what they were talking about. And so to, I would say to any provider or any technology vendor or or any pharma company, any prospective partner of a payer, put together the elevator pitch that identifies what's the issue in your area of specialty, because very often it's the providers who know that better than the payers. What's the issue? Why does it matter to me as the payer? Put it in terms that a payer can understand. Doing such and such creates additional unplanned, unnecessary healthcare utilization. That That's a problem. And then what's the proposed plan? How are you planning to address it? And then one of the other important things is to have the support. If you're coming in as a technology partner, for example, come in having the support of providers, particularly in that market or societies. If you're a provider, come in maybe with a technology partner or idea. And again, I think the spirit with which these discussions happen is critical to their success. And so you need to, everybody's defenses have to go down and all those historically adversarial sort of thoughts and suspicions about one another really need to be left at the door so that everybody comes in trying to figure out how to build something together and how to leverage the expertise of each partner. Absolutely. Can you shed some light on specific a specific example or two of in the country of entities that have launched an episodes program for something in a, a chronic a chronic disease state? Yeah, so no, I'm happy to. There are a handful of them. So first of all, I would say one of the first ones that started in the country is CMS's OCM model, the oncology care management model, right? Um, so that's had some sec- successes. It's had some troubles. It's been evolving. But honestly, I feel like these models, this is a movement. This isn't a jump from fee-for-service to value-based care. And so we will see tweaks and evolutionary movement in these models. And we'll also see a glide path from no risk into risk, right? If you think about what does a payer want, payers really need and want predictability of cost. And so one of the ways they get that is by shifting risk to providers and others. You need to be very careful not to shift the risk too soon, because if you shift the risk too soon before the stakeholders have had a chance to understand what success looks like, how to create success in the model, who are the partners that are aligned with them. 
everything could crash and people could get hurt. If you started a no risk model, which really doesn't put a payer at any more risk, and you move thoughtfully in partnership forward and continue to review and tweak the model, you're much more likely to get to a place where you can shift the risk and create success. So in terms of some specific models, I came from Horizon, so I can't help but talk about some of the Horizon models that we built. Um, so we had, uh, there. there is a model that's up and running. There are a couple of models that are up and running in oncology, actually. So we started, we built a, an episode of care around breast cancer, and we had a colon cancer episode as well. And then some of our providers actually came to us who had been participating in OCM, and they said, we don't necessarily love this model, but we understand it. And it felt a little easier for them at the beginning to engage. And so we we built with them a specialty care medical home around oncology that was more like, it's a hybrid model between the, the primary care medical home model and the specialty care episode model. And I, I would say the keys to success were leadership at the provider um, level, leadership at the technology level. So it's really important for success in these models to have leadership, not only on the payer side, but at the provider level and also the technology level. One of the earliest models that we built at Horizon after we came out of the orthopedic episodes was a maternity episode. And while some might consider that chronic because it goes on for nine months, it's not really a chronic condition. But I wanted to talk about it just because uh, to express the evolutionary nature of these models and how important it is to not build it and then never talk again, but to build it and continue to revisit it. So when we built it originally, we built it as a model that included just moms with low risk pregnancies, just to get our feet wet and see how it worked. We built it with our provider partners. We identified what the criteria was for, for uh, members to be included, what kinds of services that were unrelated would be excluded. And it worked very well. And we continued to talk about it. And very quickly, our providers came to us and said, we really, we get this and we'd like to include the high risk pregnancies as well. And so we worked to readjust the criteria to bring those in. And then about a year or so later, the providers came to us again and said, we know that by what we do, the care that we render to a mom when she's pregnant has a direct impact on the outcome of the baby and the NICU days. And we want to now, we want to include the baby because we want to be able to be assessed on the true outcomes of this this episode. So this was really interesting and really tricky because it a required two members, two individuals um, in the episode. We've never had that, and also it's not always that easy to identify the baby who belongs to the mom if they have different insurance, things like that. So we couldn't get it a hundred percent of the time. In addition to that, one of the points I'm trying to make is you hear me keep saying the providers came to us and made suggestions, and we then worked together to build um, a model. Some of what they wanted, we couldn't do, but it it wasn't, we didn't fight about it. We worked to figure out how we could get there. I think that is so critically important in these, in the oncologic models and in any of the chronic condition models, because they are so much more complicated than a knee replacement surgery. No, absolutely no disrespect intended to my orthopedic surgical friends at all. But the nature of the diseases and the care required is so much more complicated that it really requires that sort of ongoing collaboration, communication, and absolutely truthful discussion around 
what does and does not work and what does each partner need to be able to make this successful. Absolutely. As we think about moving forward with these kinds of models, I would imagine that we have to measure. There's a lot of retrospective looking back at that has to happen, correct, in terms of measuring impact moving forward, because we have to be able to make the case that this episode's model or this medical home model should be used going forward. So can you talk a little bit about how folks are measuring impact and who's involved in that, in looking back at the data from before, from a claims perspective or clinical data in order to measure impact of these programs? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. The you know measuring impact is what it is all about. And typically, and sticking with the episodes of care model, typically what happens is we'll look at some historical baseline of data. Once we've figured out with our partners what we want the episode to look like, meaning what's the criteria for somebody to be in the episode? Is it a particular diagnosis or a healthcare event? What's day one of the episode? Is it the first day of chemotherapy or is it day of surgery or is it day of diagnosis? How long will we look at this patient in the episode? Will it be six months? Will it be a year? What services will we include? Will it only be those services that are related to the oncology or whatever the diagnosis is? Or will it include everything, even if they break their leg or have an ENT visit? Once we've decided on that with our partners, then what we want to do typically is simulate the episodes in history. So we want to take that same set of criteria and look at what did the utilization and the cost of that utilization look like over the last two years or whatever the period of time is and establish sort of the baseline, not necessarily goal of where you want to get to, the the baseline of care variation, care costs, so that you know where you're starting and you can aim you know, to address where those are, where the impact is. And I would say the very best measurements and really in all of the episodes, even those that are claims-based, require tools that are not just claims-based. So when I was talking, for example, even just about the ortho episodes, we may be able to stratify the patients based on claims, but we can't get at the outcomes entirely based on claims. We can get to things like rates of readmission, ER utilization, things like that, but we can't get on a claim the functional assessment, which is critical to the patient. And it's really important in these models that we focus on what success is for the patient as well as for the provider and for the payer. So you need analytic tools, you need clinical data that can be integrated with the claims data to be able to study that. And that is just multiple times uh, more important in the in the chronic episodes where you have so many different variables affecting uh, a patient's outcome. So figuring out ways to integrate the, the clinical data that the provider has with the claims data that the payer has, and then also bringing in components around the social determinants of health. How safe is it for the patient? If they're coming off of a a knee replacement surgery, does anybody know they live in a five-story walk-up or things like that? Do they have enough food in their homes? Figuring out ways to bring all of that data in helps to understand what actually had the greatest impact on a patient's experience, on their outcomes, and on the cost of their care. 
there's a lot of work, a lot of work to be done to bring all of this together. But it certainly, it sounds like the right logical step forward in terms of how our uh, payment models need to be transformed, especially thanks for bringing up social determinants of health. I think that is, as we've seen now in this, during this coronavirus pandemic, that's so important. Emily, the comment around what's happened during the pandemic, I think is so relevant um, to this discussion. We've seen so clearly during this, these last several months, how truly interdependent we each are on another to keep each other safe. We, we each wear a mask to keep ourselves safe, but also to keep others safe. We need to follow certain protocols like social distancing, not being in crowds. We're really interdependent upon one another to keep each other safe and, and protect ourselves. And those are precisely the, the principles at work in value-based care. It's really about being respectful and understanding that we we're all we all have a role to play in the care and the health care of, of each of us. Absolutely. And that we're not none of these none of these providers or payers or analytics companies are operating in a silo. They can't. We have to talk to each other um, and learn from each other um, and work together. I know you have a, a packed schedule and we've already taken quite a bit of your time this morning. So with that, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us. You really are a, a friend of CODA and I look forward to reading what it is that you're writing on the topic of value-based care and engaging in many more conversations as we continue this important work. Oh, Emily, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be here. I so look forward to it too. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Real World Talk. For more episodes and to understand how we can all bring clarity to cancer care using real world data, please visit us at CodaHealthcare.com. We look forward to having you next time on Real World Talk.